to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Genesis chapter 32, and then move over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Finishing up this chapter today, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul feels forced to boast in things that he has had to endure in life as a Christian. Uh, you remember he was a Pharisee, he was uh, part of the Sanhedrin, he was, uh, he was a, a fellow that, that had great Jewish authority uh, to actually go and cause people to um, be imprisoned because they followed after this Christ, that they espoused this Jesus Christ. And Paul was named Saul at the time. And he was adamantly opposed to Christianity. And you remember it was on the road to Damascus that Paul, riding on his high horse, the Lord knocked him down and put him down on the ground, caused some blindness to come upon him for three days. And uh, Paul... He was sitting there, and, and as he got knocked off the horse on the way to Syria, Damascus, on his way to imprison more Christians, he, uh, he got knocked off his horse, and there was a garrison of people around him. There was, a, there was a, a group of people, not a garrison, but a group of people around him leading him up there, authorities that had the ability and had the authority to take people away in chains. He got knocked down. And the Lord, you remember the story where the Lord, he, he called out to, to Saul. He said, Saul, Saul, he said, Saul says, who are you, Lord? And, and the voice said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Isn't it hard to kick against the goats? Is it not hard to kick against the goads? Now, the goads are, just for a, a very quick uh, understanding, a goad is, is basically a, a prod, a pointed prod. And uh, sometimes they were uh, uh, stationary. Sometimes they were, you, you know, you, you would have them in your hand as a, as a farmer. You could have it in your hand as a farmer. It's a, a point to kind of point into the back of, uh, of, of your oxen or, or your donkey as it's, as it's you know, plowing. Uh, oftentimes they were stationary. They were, they were built into the back of the plow facing towards the donkey or the oxen because the oxen or the donkey would get upset that they're having to tread out this ground, you know, the fallow ground maybe. It's hard ground and they're going through and they're having to tread it out. And, and the, the ox just, I don't want to do this anymore. And, and what does an animal do? It kicks back at you, right? It kicks back. Well, oftentimes they would kick back. And there was even a law that, that if an animal kicked a person, its owner, and killed them, that the animal needed to die. And so this was a, an issue back in that day. And, and so they built prods or goads that when the, the animals would kick back, they'd hit those sharp points and, and say, ow. In animal language, I don't know, but ow and oxen, uh, ox, and and they would they would get hurt and they would stop kicking back, 
And that's what Jesus was saying to, to Saul. He was saying, Saul, isn't it hard for you to kick against the goats? You're out there and you're in, in what is inferring, what the inference is, is that Saul, you think you're doing the Lord's bidding, God's bidding. You think that you're honoring God by arresting these Christians, but there's something that is not sticking well with you, is there? There is something that's not working with you in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit that you know that God wouldn't be doing what you're doing. And, and, and you do it anyways because you think, well, that may just be my own personal uh, opinion and so the Lord would probably have me do something different. And so instead of taking the conviction of your heart, because there was obviously a conviction in Saul's heart on what he was doing and that it was wrong with what he was doing, or less the Lord would not have said, isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? Isn't it hard to go against your conscience? Isn't it hard to go against the spirit that is telling you you should not be going and arresting these Christians? But see, in Paul's mind, in the tradition that he had grown up in, he had been taught not by the word of God, but by people that came and twisted the word of God in order to make the word of God say what it is that they wanted it to say. Be careful of that, Christians. Be careful of that. Because here's the thing. People can twist the word of God in order to, uh, to, to uh, imprison you into a false understanding of what and who God is. And that's exactly what happened to Paul. Jesus actually confronted the Pharisees. They, he said, you, you teach the traditions of men as if it were doctrine. And, and that wasn't him applauding or patting the, the Pharisees on the back. The, the religious rulers on the back. He wasn't patting them on the back. He was saying, you have so far straight off course, you still use the word of God, but you've twisted it to make those who you proselytize twice a son of hell as you yourselves are. You've twisted the word of God. And so Paul or Saul, as he was at the time, his name had not yet changed. Saul is on his way to Damascus to imprison more Christians because they dared to worship Jesus. They dared to worship the Son of God. They dared declare that God became a man and he died on a cross and he rose again three days later. Well, according to his tradition, there was no way that that will be tolerated. No way. Not on my watch. And so Paul, he takes off and goes up there and there's always this nagging thing inside of him that's saying, I shouldn't do what it is that I'm doing, but I'm going to do it for the Lord because I am trying to be the perfect follower of God. But while he's doing it, there's something that's not right in him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? You know that what you're doing is not right. You know what you're doing isn't, isn't pleasing to the Lord, and yet you're doing it anyways, thinking that you are pleasing the Lord. And you do it even with more vigor. You do it with much more passion because you think, oh, maybe it's that I don't have enough passion. Maybe it's that I don't do it with as much, with as much vigor to, to, to take down even more people. Maybe that's what it is. But that's not what it is at all, Saul. What you're doing is not right. But here's the thing that I, I really 
think that we sometimes as pastors gloss over. I don't see Jesus really rebuke Paul. He doesn't really get down hardcore on Paul. You low down dirty scoundrel. You've been you've been you've been hurting my kids. You're going to pay for this. You are going to pay for this, Saul. I am Jesus and I am going to just whip you, man. I am going to I am going to get you. No, no, that's not what Jesus says. He says, why are you persecuting me? Isn't it hard for you to go against your conscience? Isn't it hard for you to go against what you know? You can't reconcile what you're doing with the word of God. You can't do it. And it's hard that you're kicking against the goads as you press on to go and imprison more Christians and, and even see many of them stoned right before your eyes. You remember it was Saul who was the authoritative figure he was, the, he was the authoritative figure, the Jewish authoritative religious leader that was there that gave consent for Stephen to be stoned to death. They all laid their cloaks down at the, the feet of Saul. And there, Stephen, he's stoned to death. And something about Stephen's death reverberated in Paul or Saul. He never let it go. He, he mentions it like three different times in his, in, in his epistles. Stephen's death transformed that guy. Something, it, it, it twisted his theology. Something isn't right. Here's a guy that's willing to die. He's not willing to recant what he's saying. He's actually standing up and he's, he's saying, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. Which of your, which of your servants did, did your fathers not kill? The prophets you killed. The prophets you killed everybody that God sent to you because you had it your own little way. And, and so, so Saul is sitting there with, with, with astonishment, I'm sure, in his heart, on his face, sitting there going, I can't believe that this guy is standing here saying these things. And yet he then begins to be stoned with rocks being thrown and hurled at him. And he begins to crumple under, under the rocks, under this beating. And then I think the thing that stuck with Saul for the rest of his life that he could not shake was that Stephen said, Father, do not lay this charge against them. And, 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 and Saul... Somewhere that, that made him do the RCA dog head tilt. For those of you who remember the RCA dog head. He's just sitting there going, that, that, that does, not, does not compute. You're willing to die? And you're asking God to forgive us for killing you? That doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. And as if that wasn't bad enough, Stephen said, look, I see the heavens open and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. It's the only time you'll ever see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father in heaven. It was when he was welcoming home a martyr. He was when he was welcoming home a child who was being killed for the faith. And, and, and Saul has all of this in his head. He has that. And now he's yet still going to hurt someone. And, and take and rip, part, rip apart families and Jesus knocks him down. Saul was radically transformed that day. 
What do you want me to do, Lord? Yes, it has been hard for me. Yes, something has been wrong. And now I'm hearing and seeing you and I understand that I have been going down the wrong road. I don't understand how it all fits together. I don't know how it all works. This is what I've been taught my whole life. What do I do? Well, Saul, you're going to be blind for three days. And I'm going to, I'm going to have you go into Damascus, into a, a street called Straight. You're going to stay at this person's house until I send somebody there to heal you. So Saul's blind. Somewhere along the line, Ananias, a fella, Christian, gets contacted by the Lord on the God phone. Ring, ring. Yes, Lord. I am Ananias, your servant. What would you have me to do? Well, here's what I want you to do, Ananias. I want you to go into Damascus, to a street called Straight, and there is a man by the name of Saul. And, and he's blinded right now, and I want you to... Whoa, 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 wait, wait, time out. Just, just for a second, Lord, just so I get this clear. Are we talking about the same Saul? The Saul that has been killing your children? That has been killing my, my friends? Been ripping apart families? Really? Is it, it really... Are, are, I just want to be clear on this, Lord. Really, is this the same Saul? Yes. I want you to go into this his house and I want you to lay your hands on him and I want you to tell him that the Lord heals him. And then I want you to give him this message that he is to be a, a servant of mine under the Gentiles and the kings and, and princes. He's going to share this gospel. Oh, okay. Just to make double sure don't get mad at me lord we are talking about saul yes ananias saul and it happened saul's radically transformed something happens to saul he gets saved and he wants everyone else to experience the same forgiveness that he has experienced he wants everyone else to experience an eternal home the way that he longs for his eternal home he he has this call on his life to to live for christ and and it doesn't matter what i get in this life it's 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 not about the here and the now i have a job in the here and the now but i am the job that i have is for my eternal home it's for my eternal home Gang, that's where we, we, we sometimes trip up. I know I do. I trip up on, on getting too focused on the here and the now, on the things that are going on in my life here. And are you really serious? These things, I'm going to have to deal with these things for the rest of my life? Are you really serious that I, I'm going to have to have this sickness? Are you really serious that I'm going to have to have this kind of a job? Are you really serious that I'm going to have to be, you know, might be my wife's message, you know, that I'm going to have to be married to this clown for the rest of my life? Not really. But, you know, it, here's the thing. Are you serious? And sometimes we get blinded by things like that. And, and, and Paul, he learned 
Well, it's, you know what? It's not really about the here and the now. I see that the here and the now causes many people to fail, to realize the eternal hope, the eternal home that is being prepared for them even at this very moment because they get tripped up on the here and the now. I want to have this. I have to have that. I, I don't have this, and so I'm going to strive for this. I'm going to, and, and, and whatever it comes in, into our head that we have to have in this life in order to be happy, if it's not, if it's not the Lord, we're never going to be satisfied. We are going to be chasing a dangling carrot. You might have an illness. You might have a, 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 a disease. You might have, you might have a, a paralysis. You might have something in your life that is hindering you from being what you would kind of like to be. And yet, you never see really a relief of, of what it is that you... You, you want to be healed? You want to be whole? Uh, Paul's saying, I, I, I don't want to boast in the things that I've had to endure in my life, but I've done them all for you. I love you. I love people. I, love, I want to see people go to heaven with me. And, and I see that so many things on this earth are tripping so many people up. And he's specifically talking to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians aren't listening to him anymore. Because he's backed out of, of he's, he's never charged them for speaking to them, bringing them Christ. Oh, others have, all of the others have come in and charged them and laid heavy burdens on them in order to follow Christ. Paul didn't do that. Paul didn't do that. And they're accusing him, well, you're, you're just a second-rate apostle. You're a second-rate follower of Christ. And so Paul lays out all of these credentials on why he's genuine, why he's sincere, and why God is using them, him in their life. And he says, don't blame God for me boasting in this because I don't want to be boasting in this. Here's the thing. Blame me for boasting. But here is, you need to hear it. I'm going to tell you who it is that I am. And then he lays out this long illustration. Well, what he does, he lays out all the torture that he's gone through just in order to bring them the gospel. He's also, just as we've looked at over the last couple of times that I've spoken here, is, is that he's talked about a revelation that he had where 14 years ago, whether in the spirit or out of the spirit, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. All I know is that I was caught up into heaven. I saw paradise. And I, I saw and heard things that it's not even lawful for a man to say of him. Of the, and I, I don't want to even boast about that. We sometimes look at Paul and go, Paul, just tell us a little bit more. Paul, tell us a little bit more. What is it? I know a man in Christ, verse 2 of chapter 12, 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know. Whether out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Such a one was caught up to third heaven. First heaven is kind of our star, you know, our sky, clouds. Second heaven is the stars and the planets. Third heaven is 
is the place where the Lord resides. I, I know a man who was caught up into that place where the Lord resides, where God resides, the third heaven. And I know such a man, verse 3, whether in the body, out of the body, I don't know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not even lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one, I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. Paul says, I'm not going to take this as an occasion because I have this wonderful revelation to sit there and say, look at how wonderful I am. Look at how awesome I am. Look how blessed I am. Look at, look at how God is blessing me. If you go through all the infirmities that I've gone through, if you go through all of the hardships that I've gone through in life, you too just may, for $29.99, might be able to, endure, or to, to enjoy what it is that I got to enjoy. I got to get caught up into heaven and I saw things. Well, I can't tell you because you can't, you can't handle it. You can't handle the truth. Here's the thing. Paul says, I don't want to boast in that. Because we all want to hear those things. Uh, there's a lot of books out and a lot of different, you know, you know, people that are making a lot of money over, you know, what they've seen in heaven and so on and so forth. Paul goes, I, I don't want that. What I want to do is I want to boast in my infirmities. The things that... that, that Hold me down. That, that the things that keep me grounded. That's not what we like to, what we like to, to focus on in our life. We don't like to, to focus on anything that, that keeps us grounded. That's what he says. He says, listen, for though I desire, verse 6, though I might desire to boast, I, will be, I, won't, I won't be a fool. I'm not going to boast in the wonderful things that happened in my life, I'm going to boast in my infirmities. I will speak the truth that I forbear, lest anyone should think me above what he sees me to be or hears me to be. I don't want anybody to puff me up. That is almost contrary to uh, human nature, especially from some behind pulpits. I want you to honor me. I want you to lift me up. I want you to recognize how awesome I am. I want you to recognize that I have an phenomenal ability to speak to crowds i have and 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 they want they welcome they welcome the accolades paul says i don't ever want anybody to give me those accolades that's not what it's about it's not about that but god knows me paul says paul what his next part of his statement is is that He's, he's basically saying God knows me because he knows that I can fall into that just as easy as anybody. He says, so unless I should be exalted above measure, lest I should take on this persona of so many that go, well, I've actually been to heaven. How about you? I, I saw, I saw paradise. How about you? You know, you don't know anything. I know. No, he, he's going, unless I be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations that I've seen, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. You know what buffet means? Buffet means not Warren. It means to be beat and pounded. To be beat and pounded. A messenger, and, and that word messenger is angelos, which is an angel, which where we get our word angel. An angel of Satan was delivered to me to beat me 
constantly to powder, lest I should be exalted above measure. And it's not like Paul's going, man, I, I love to be beaten by Satan. I love to be hammered down by one of his messengers. I, I, I like to, to live in my, infir- I love living in infirmity. I love, I love, you know, the, the pain that comes upon me. No, he doesn't, he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. But sometimes it's necessary. He understands the necessity of it. He says, concerning this thing, this thorn in my flesh, verse 8, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. But this is what the Lord's response was to me the three times. He, God, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul saying, I I heard him say it the first time, and I didn't get it. And I asked again. And and then he said the same thing again, and, and I didn't get it. And so I asked again. And when he said it the third time, something clicked in my head. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I get it. I get it, Lord. It's not about my life here today. It's not about it's not about the things that I that I can be. It's not about the 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 way that I can feel. It's not about it's not about my esteem. It's not about my my health. It's not about my wealth. Completely and totally opposed to the health and wealth teachers that are out there. It's not about that. Paul says it's not about that because it's when we are in our weakest moments when we begin to see the strength of God. I'd venture to say that many of you prayed when Irma was bearing down on Florida. If you stayed here and you prayed, you recognized that that storm was huge. And, and, and it caused you to be a little bit more serious with the Lord. You recognize that all that it takes is just a storm and it just totally destroys our country. Our country is brought to its knees on a storm. And in our weakness is when we run to the Lord and and we cry out to the Lord and that's where we begin to see God's strength. Not that His strength wouldn't be seen elsewhere. Even in our strengths. Even in the things that that, that are going well in our life. If we're running to the Lord, we're going to see the Lord's strength even in the midst of that. But it's, it's in our weaknesses where we begin to see the strength of the Lord. And so Paul says, I got it. I get it. It's not about my health. It's not about my wealth. It's not about my, you know, my esteem. It's not about my self-worth. It's not about those things. It's about the Lord. God says that his grace is sufficient for me. What that means, sufficient means that's all you need. That's all you need. That's all I need. That's all we need, gang. We just need the grace of the Lord. And if we understand, no matter what comes... Listen, I don't want to oversimplify Christianity, but, but to oversimplify it, let's do it. If we surrender to the Lord, it doesn't matter what happens to our life. If we are completely and utterly surrendered to the Lord, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter if you have a sickness. It doesn't matter if you have a paralysis. It doesn't matter if you don't have, you know, a relationship. Or it doesn't matter if, if, you know, someone is even taken from you. I know it hurts. And I know Paul's not saying, hey, man, I, I, I go out and seek to get, you know, more ill. I go out and seek to find someone to beat me more. He's not saying that. He's saying, but the point is, is that when these things happen, I know that God's grace is sufficient for me. It's all I need. It's all I need. And if we as Christians can grasp onto that concept that it's not about me, it's not about my happiness, it's not about the things that I can get in this life, it's not about my health, it's not about my wealth, it's not about my esteem, it's about Christ and Him crucified. That's Paul. When I came to you, he said, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Because his grace is sufficient for me, for you, for us, for us. Gang. He says, therefore, I most gladly will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's taking the, 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 uh, the paradox, if you will. When I'm weak, when I'm going through it, when I'm having a difficult time, no longer do I focus so much on the difficulty, but I look at it and go, I am going through a whale of a time right now. And it's tough. But, but God's strength is sustaining me through the midst of it all. He has a plan. Wow, God, you have a plan in my life. All of a sudden, your whole demeanor changes. Your whole psyche changes. Your whole outlook on life changes when you know that no matter what you're encountering in life, no matter what you're doing in life, no matter what's coming down upon in your life that is a hardship in your life, that when you recognize that you've surrendered yourself to the Lord and that your hardship has not taken God by storm, it has not surprised Him at all. He has allowed you to go through it. He is allowing you to walk through it. But that's the, that's the point. He wants you to walk through it. He wants us to walk through it in Him, recognizing that His grace is sufficient for us to go through it. Because, gang, He has a plan. He has a plan in your life. It might not be your plan. It might not be my plan. It may not be the way that we ever would have authored our life out to be, but it's the way that He has. And the sooner we understand that as Christians the easier it's going to be living this life. And more joy is going to come that way. More joy is going to come that way. He says, I've become a fool in boasting. You've, you've made me do it. You guys in Corinth have made me do this. For though I, I ought to be commended by you, in nothing I was, in nothing was I behind even the most eminent apostles. Though I am nothing, I am nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. You saw me do all these things. For what is it in which you were in, in which you guys were inferior to other churches? You thought, well, because I'm your pastor, we're not like the other churches. The other churches are better than we are because we have Paul as our pastor. Can you imagine hearing that? I would step down in a heartbeat if possibly the apostle Paul came in and said, hey, hey, could you use some help? <laughs> yes, sir. Come in. You have my you have my pulpit. And these guys are these guys are trashing Paul down. They're going, yeah, well, we don't 
we don't really like you as our pastor. He says, what, church in Corinth, what, what is it in which you were inferior to any other churches except that I myself wasn't burdensome to you? Uh, forgive me. What does he mean by that? Is he saying, I didn't charge you anything. I didn't ask any money from you. I didn't ask for anything. I wasn't a burden to you. And it's for this that I'm wrong? That was patronizing, if you will. Or the, 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 and so he, he says, now for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. And again, I'm not going to be burdensome to you. For I don't seek your, yours. I don't seek what you have. I don't seek your wallet. What I seek is your heart. That's what he's saying. See, I can follow a guy like that. I can follow somebody like that. I don't seek what you have. I seek you. And it's not for my purposes. It's so that I can introduce you to my Lord. He will be the one that fulfills your needs. He will be the one that gives you purpose in life. He will be the one who you will lean on. Not me. You'll lean on him. I don't seek yours. I don't seek your pocket. I seek your heart. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your soul. If it means that I'm going to have to go under some more tribulation, more trials, more issues, fine, that's okay. Though the more abundant I love you, the less you guys love me. Ah, that's just a hard thing. Paul's going, man, I love you so much and I endure so much for you, but the more that I express my love for you, the more you think that I'm inferior, the more you think that I don't, the, 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 more you lo- the, the, the less you love me, the more I give to you, the less you love me. And it's just not making sense. I don't understand. But be that as it may, I didn't burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you guys with guile. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus do anything and take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit, Titus and I? Did we not walk in the same steps? Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? No. We speak before God and Christ. I'm not here to ask for apologies to you, from you. We live our lives before the eyes, the open eyes of Christ. We do all things, beloved, for your edification. We're here to build you up. For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you, lest there should be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. And lest when I come again my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of their uncleanliness, fornication, and unlicentiousness which they have practiced. And so Paul is laying his heart bare. But here's what I want to leave you guys with. Paul, he recognizes that no matter all of the things that have come come down upon his life, it's kept him grounded, and it's kept him humble, and it's kept him usable. The moment that you become big in your own eyes is when you cease to be used of the Lord, genuinely. Not that God couldn't still work through even your egotistical narcissism in someone's life. Because it happens all the time. But that reward's not going to you. 
you got your reward. You boast in a pulpit. You boast in, in, in amongst your friends. You boast, among, you boast among your family. You've got your reward. Everybody goes, okay. But let me just say this. You boast in front of people. We all know people like this. If you don't know people like this, you're probably this person. That they boast about themselves of how wonderful they are or how great they are or how funny they are or how, you know, they do things better than anybody else. Um, there was a, uh, a comic strip. I think it might still be out. I don't know. Dilbert. You know that Dilbert com- comic strip? There was a, there was a guy uh, in there called... Uh, uh, I can't remember his name. Somebody help me out. But anytime anybody had said something that happened to him. This guy had something that happened to him even worse. What is it called? One Up. You know, he's, I forgot what his name was, but he had a name. It was a nickname. But he always had something better, had something more. Oh, wow, you thought that was bad. Let me tell you this. That happened to me. You think that? And, and all of a sudden, if that's... We all know those people. And like I say, if that's you, take this as a warning. People aren't impressed with you. People aren't impressed with that. They're not impressed with that. They're not impressed with you boasting in yourself. They're not, they're not impressed in that. And that's what's caused such reluctancy on, on Paul in having to do what he's done is to actually have to boast in these things because he's going, I, I don't want to have to do this, but I feel like... You're not listening and you're not growing and you're falling away from the Lord. And, and, and so Paul says, I, I, I have a thorn in my flesh and God's kept it there. It's to keep me grounded. It's to keep me usable. I can't boast in this. It's obvious that I've got this thorn in my flesh. We don't know what that thorn in his flesh was. It could very well just be a thorn in his flesh that he couldn't get out. It could very well be that he had an eye issue. That maybe after he got stoned that one time, his eyes never ceased being red. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> his eyes were messed up, maybe. He, he said to the Galatians, I think, it was a, the church in Galatia, I, you know, I, I, you would have even given your own eyes to me, which would indicate that maybe something was wrong with his eyes. Something, whatever it was that Paul had in his life, that the thorn in his flesh, he carried it for the rest of his life. And sometimes you and I are called to carry thorns in our flesh. Doesn't mean that we can't ask for God to remove them from us. But maybe the Lord will be with you like he was with Saul and, and with Paul. And he says three times, My grace is sufficient for you, for in your weakness I will be strong. I will show myself so strong in your life. Here we had this great testimony, you know, today from Lalani's husband, Mike. Mike is sick. Something's wrong with him. We don't know. They're testing him. They're trying to figure out what's going on. He doesn't want to be poked and prodded by all the doctors and everything. I'm sure he'd rather be home. And yet, Mike is in the hospital. 
and has been for some time, trying to figure out what's wrong with him. Can I just say, even as we have heard the testimony that four or five people have come to know the Lord through Mike being in the hospital, can I, I'm not saying that God couldn't have led them to the Lord in another manner, but I will say this, Mike wouldn't have been that person to lead them to the Lord unless Mike would have been going and had a thorn in his flesh that caused him to be in that hospital in the first place. Would he have ever chosen that thorn in his flesh? No. But I think if we look at the big picture, the grand scope of things, to think that four or five more people are going to go to heaven because God allowed a sickness to come upon you that the doctors are still trying to figure out what's going on. I think in the grand scheme of things, 10,000 times 10,000 years down the road, Mike might look back at that and go, you know what, it was worth it. That thorn in the flesh, it, it gave me opportunity. I had you turn to Genesis chapter 32. I won't go there, but Genesis 32, it's the story of Jacob. You remember Jacob? He wrestled with the angel all night long because he was so stubborn. He was so stubborn in his life. He was so stubborn in what it is that he wanted in his life. He was estranged from his family, but here he goes. And his brother Esau, who said, if I ever see you again, I will kill you because you stole my birthright. And, and, and Jacob, he's trying to go home with all of the blessings that God gave to him, his wives, his kids, his cattle, everything. But when he finds out that his brother-in-law, or uncle, I'm sorry, Uncle Laban is behind him and says, Jacob, here's a line right here drawn between you and I. If you cross over this line, I'm going to kill you. So you just, once you cross this line, you keep going because the day you come back, you're dead. Jacob's like, okay, I'm gone. And then all of a sudden he finds out one of his, his forerunners, one of his surveyors that goes out in front of him, his front men, comes back and says, hey, uh, Jake, things aren't good. Hey, your brother is on the other side of the hill. He's coming this way, and he's got soldiers coming this way too. Battle-tested warriors coming this way. You can't turn around and go back Uncle Laban's way because you're going to die. If you go forward, you're going to run into your brother who said that the next time you guys see each other face-to-face, you're going to die. What you going to do, Jake? So Jake... He thought, I'm going to separate my family in two. Half of it I'm going to send this way. Half of it I'm going to send that way. So that if my brother comes down upon us, he can only kill half of my family and take half of my stuff. The other half will be, will be able to live. That was his own mind. That's how he was going to get out of the situation. The Bible says in, in, in Genesis chapter 32 that When he did that, he was left alone all by himself all night long. He stayed there in the middle because he was going to go and and see if he could confront his brother and talk to his brother, maybe talk some sense into him. But in the midst of it, he's sitting there and he remembers a, 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 a talk that he had with the Lord in Bethel where he saw a ladder stretching from the earth up into the clouds and angels ascending and descending upon the ladder. We call it Jacob's ladder. He remembers he had an encounter with the Lord and the the Lord promised him 
posterity. He promised him that there would be a continual line after him. And, and here he is, wondering how is that ever going to happen because here I am all by myself. My family's going to be wiped out. Here I am. I can't, I'm between a rock and a hard place and he's all by himself. And all of a sudden, some guy walks up in the middle of the night, two, three o'clock in the morning, says, Jake, Jacob, Jacob, who are you? I want to wrestle. You want to what? I want to wrestle. And so they go at it. They start wrestling all night long. It's an angel of the Lord wrestling with eight, with Jacob. And Jacob talks. You, you, you look and, and see how stubborn Jacob is because Jacob is not going to let go of this angel. He's, he's struggling and he's wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. He's wrestling with God. He doesn't like how God is dealing with his life. He doesn't like how God is, has allowed him to get into this predicament that he's in. And the angel of the Lord, in the breaking of the day, said, Let me go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, real quick, very quickly, back in that day, if you were a victor, if you were the one who won a competition, you actually would offer a trophy or a laurel wreath or, or something to the one who you just beat. And so if you had a trophy case full of trophies, that would mean you're not very good. Okay? And so Jacob, he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you declare yourself the victor and you reward me with a gift. And the angel of the Lord says, what is your name? Do you think he needed to know his name? Do you think that he didn't know his name? I, I, this, this messenger of the Lord knew the name. The angel of the Lord knew his name. But he wanted Jacob to say his name because Jacob's name means scoundrel, thief, supplanter. And so he had to say, that's my name, scoundrel, thief, supplanter. And the angel of the Lord says, no longer will your name be scoundrel, thief, supplanter. Your name will be Israel. Peace with the Lord. For you have wrestled with God and you've won. What? How do you mean I've won? When you, the moral of that story, gang, in the midst of that battle, the messenger of the Lord, before all this happened, before Abraham, or before Jacob asked to be blessed, the angel touched his hip and injured it paralyzed a portion of his hip. And yet he was still so stubborn that he wouldn't give up. Finally he gives up. Finally he gets a new name. Peace with God for you've wrestled with God and you've won. And Jacob is like, I don't understand how I've won. You've blessed me, okay? I let you go. My name is now Israel. Peace with God. The moral of the story is that the way that Ab or that Jacob won 
The way that Jacob understood victory was when he finally gave up and allowed God, allowed God to be in control. When Jacob gave up, when he said, I don't want to fight anymore. I, want, I don't want to fight. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I give up. When you and I, with the thorns that we have in our flesh, when we finally give up, that's when we begin to win with the Lord. Because we understand that he has a better, he has a better plan for our life. The, the Bible says there in, in the last verse, it says that, that this two, two of the last verses talks about how Jacob, he limped from that day forward. Every day he walked on his leg was a reminder God won. God's in control. Every time he limped, what's this limp for? God, take this limp away. No, this limp is there to remind you that I am in control and that I love you, that I have a plan for your life, and that, that you are going to go places if you follow me. Every time he limped, that was the thorn that was in his flesh. Gang, you and I, we have thorns. What you might think is a is a uh, a bad thing that's in your life. If you think that that maybe an illness or maybe you know uh, something that has come into your life that you consider a thorn, you've asked the Lord to take it away from you, and the Lord has not taken it away from you. Maybe just maybe the Lord is using it to keep you grounded. Maybe just maybe the Lord is keeping you to keep you grounded, allowing you to keep it. Can you deal with that? Can you live with that? Are you okay with that? If you immediately go, no, I'm not okay with that, well, you're not there yet. You're still in the midst of the, of the wrestling match. But when you get to that place where the Lord knocks you off your high horse, where the Lord touches your hip, when you realize, wait a minute, God, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm going to trust you. I surrender my will to you. I surrender my wants to you. I surrender my fears. I surrender my pains. I surrender my illnesses. I surrender my, my, the, un, the unfortunate situations that come into my life. When I surrender those things to you and, and recognize, Lord, you're right there with me. I would rather be with the Lord in a difficulty than in a, than, than in a, a, a fun time or a glorious time or a, a what would be considered a plunchous time without him. Wouldn't you? Know this. What you have in your life, can you be satisfied and content? Can you be content in all things? Can you be content with the Lord? Because he has a plan for your life. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your life isn't any different than his, than, than mine, than Jacob's, than Paul's. He has a plan for your life. That, that doesn't mean that he's not going to do wonderful things in your life. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have fun in life. doesn't mean that you're not going to have some excitement in your life. The point is, can you be truly surrendered to the Lord? Because life will become incredibly simple when you and I surrender ourselves completely and totally to him. Amen? Father, thank you so much for today. And 
And Lord, I pray that we can understand this message, we, that this message would, would become one of those foundational stones in our spiritual walk. That no matter what, Lord, you are on the throne and we are at the foot of it, bowing before you, recognizing that you have a plan and a purpose in it all. No matter our thorns that we have in our flesh, whether they are self-inflicted or whether they have come upon us by outward means, Lord, we pray that, Lord, you would take them away. But if not, we would understand that your grace is sufficient and is, it is enough. And that even in our weaknesses, Lord, we would see your strength. We would recognize that no matter what comes upon our life, if we are surrendered to you, Lord, What can this world do to us? What could the world possibly do to us? For if God be for us, who can be against us? And anyone is, who cares? Thank you, Lord, for this promise. Thank you, Lord, that you are God and on the throne and that you love us and we are your kids. And if a hardship comes into our life, we know, Lord, that we are the apple of your eye. We know that you see. We know that you hear. We know that you feel. We know that you love. And we know that you share compassion, grace, and mercy. Help us, Lord, to receive it and recognize you through the midst of the storms that we find ourselves in at times in life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.